Um, we're going to be continuing our series on Ephesians. I know Paul's been doing the last three or four sermons on Ephesians. And let me tell you, this passage, it's got some good stuff in it. Um, it's super long. It's got a lot to it. I'm going to try and get through it all. I actually had to cut out a lot. So as I was you know, preparing this, every verse has like a whole series in it in itself. So I, I did have to kind of cut back to keep it to the, the half an hour that I was given. So bear with me. I am going to read the whole passage um, because I think it, it flows really well. And um, yeah, so I'm excited. So you can turn into your Bibles to Ephesians 2, uh, 11 to 13. I'll give you a minute to turn there. It's also be up on the screen. I'm reading from uh, the ESV translation. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and it is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Whew! That's that's good stuff. Um, Let's just pray as we get started. Uh, Dear God, Thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you that we can gather here um, and just come into your presence, hear your word, fellowship with each other. Lord, let your words speak through me, God. They're not my words. They're completely yours. And uh, I just 
hand the next half an hour over to you, Lord. Amen. So this passage is a challenge by Paul for reconciliation in the body of Christ. Uh, Last week, for those who could not make it, uh, Paul took us through an exploration. Sorry, there's two Pauls. Paul in the Bible and Paul, you know, Paul Graham. So sometimes that always messes with me when I talk. So last week, Paul Graham (laughs) took us through um, Ephesians 2, uh, 1 to 10, and he talked about the doctrine of total depravity. which, again, I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but basically we have to understand that every part of us is sinful and that it is only through God's grace that we can be redeemed by God. Despite our total sin, our total depravity, which, is, which separates us from God, God still sees us as his workmanship, he still loves us, and he still sent his one and only son, Jesus, for us. And I love this quote that, that Paul said last week, until we understand how sick we are, we will never go to the surgeon to get better. Again, this was a dense and heavy sermon, but one that I think is, is crucial and one that cannot be ignored. This morning, we're going to move forward um, with that passage in Ephesians that I just read. Um, and this passage is a challenge by Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, for the reconciliation in the body of Christ. Reconciliation because we are all one as Christians with the Holy Spirit in us. This reconciliation is a challenge to live rightly, to live at peace with one another, despite our differences, and to live so that the manifold wisdom of God can be on display in both the world and in the heavenly realms. The Apostle Paul takes us on a journey from desperate, alienated people to a people that, that can be called God's own family. All of this is done because of the grace of God that cannot be overlooked. This grace for all people is the mystery. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to go kind of verse by verse because I think it, it flows really well. Um, verse 11 starts off quite dark and heavy, and in many ways it can be linked to last week when Paul referred to the doctrine of total depravity. Let's take a look at, at verse 11 and 12 here. Paul is talking to the Ephesians. He was talking to uh, a group of Gentiles and some Jews that had encountered Jesus and joined the church. Paul suggests that before they encountered and believed in Christ, before they became a Christian, at that time, they were without God. They were separated from Christ. Paul takes it a little farther here and suggests that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. This is not the first time that Paul uses the term alienated. Aliens are seen as outsiders, not belonging, separated, uh, distant, whatever term you would like to use. Before Christ, these Christian Gentiles were not part of God's Inheritance. They could not be part of the people of God because they did not know God. Remember that alongside the Gentiles, Paul is also talking to groups of Jewish people that would have had an understanding of belonging to the tribe of Israel. The Jewish people had a sense of belonging as God's people throughout history. Yet through Jesus, the divide between Jew and Gentile was abolished because now it's only through Christ that we have access to God. We're going to look at this a little bit uh, later, more fully. But we cannot forget what is being said here in verse 12. Before Christ, before encountering God, the Ephesians were separated from God, not part of God's commonwealth, alienated from God, strangers to the covenant of promise, and had no hope. You can go to the the next slide there, Jonah. Yeah, so before... You can keep clicking through. Yeah. 
The Ephesians were separated from God, not part of God's commonwealth, alienated from God, strangers to the covenant of promise, and had no hope. Wow, that's heavy. Yet without God, we have to understand that without God, there is no chance of salvation, no chance of hope. That's the main idea of total depravity. Without God, there is no hope. And I'm so happy to tell you that my sermon doesn't end there. That'd be a terrible way to end a sermon. The very next verse, after Paul drops this bomb to the Ephesians of how desperate and alone and hopeless and alienated they are without God, he states these, ex- these two extraordinary words. And I know in your, in your small groups, J.D. Greer, um, who does the video uh, in the small groups, goes on about this himself. But you see these two words, but God, or but now in the ESV, depending on your translation. Despite our hopelessness, despite our total depravity, despite being alienated, God steps in and offers us hope. He takes our desperation, he takes our hopelessness, and turns it into access to God himself through that access to God's inheritance as part of his family. All of this is done as we are brought near by the blood of Christ. God steps in and gives us access to his family, his inheritance through the blood of Christ. Paul is explaining to the church in Ephesus and in turn to us here in Halliburton today that our hope, the entire essence of our being, has to go back to Christ himself. Our chance, our hope, is solely due to the fact that God stepped in and provided a way out. It's not because of our abilities. It's not because of our good deeds. It's not because we look nice. It's not because we came to church last Sunday in the freezing rain and this Sunday in the... In the uh, bright, sunny morning. It's because God chose to step in. So what does this then tell us about God? And why would God do this? Why would God care enough to step in when we for sure did not deserve it? God is our peace. God wants to reconcile us to him. And not only does God want to reconcile us to him, he also wants to reconcile us to each other so that the entire world, and get this, beyond that, the entire heavenly realms can marvel at the wisdom of God. God reconciles us. This reconciliation leads to the fact that we are on display in both the world, but even beyond that, the cosmic powers of the world, of the universe. There is cosmic significance to what we do. God is on full display as he reconciles us together, as he brings us together, and as we choose to represent God in our lives. When we choose to do the right thing, when we choose to serve people, when we choose to um, love people, when we choose to resist uh, temptation, God's wisdom is revealed. Not only in this world, but in the heavenly world. Realms. The angels and the demons marvel at God when we choose God. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later. Practically, reconciliation leads to healthy relationships. It leads to transformation in our day-to-day lives. Reconciliation also is created for a greater purpose, and that is for God's glory, and God's, for, uh, God's glory, and it's all through God's wisdom. God has proven right every time we choose to honor God. God is choosing right every time we choose to reconcile, every time marriages are restored, every time friends um, become friends again, every time brothers and sisters reconcile, every time as a church we come together and despite our differences we're able to, to be together 
and honor each other and love each other. The world and the heavenly forces marvel at God's wisdom every time this happens. This passage, however, is Paul taking the church in Ephesus through an incredible story or picture of God's incredible plan played out in the lives of all Christians. First, we are alienated, we're separated, we're distant, whatever word you want to use there. But God steps in, and through his grace, we are reconciled. And we're going to talk about reconciliation for the next little bit. What What does Paul mean here by reconciliation? Verse 14 suggests that God himself is our peace. This peace leads to reconciliation between all people. It also means reconciliation between us and God through Jesus. Reconciliation means so much. For the church in Ephesus, Paul specifically mentions Jews and Gentiles. In those days, and you have to understand, there was a, a significant divide between the Jewish, Jewish Christians, people who were Jewish but became Christians upon experiencing the gospel, and then there were the Gentiles, those who were non-Jewish, uh, non-Jewish people, uh, that also became Christians. For centuries before Jesus, there was a strict divide between Gentiles and Jews. Jews in many cultures and traditions could not have very much interaction with the Gentiles. They did not get along. There were strict rules in the Jewish culture, such as circumcision, holy days, kosher food, um, that separated Jews and Gentiles, as well as many other things. Yet because of this, because of God's reconciliation, Paul is saying that this divide is no longer. The walls of hostility are torn down. The walls between Jews and Gentiles is gone because both groups share the same commonality. What's that commonality? Being saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. God steps in through Jesus and breaks down this division. All people have the opportunity for access to God. And this would have been extremely uh, countercultural. Before Jesus, it was only through the tribe of Israel, or the Jewish people, that generally had access to God. Now, anyone can have the same Access. Paul is flipping this on his head. Instead of just having to be a, a Jew, anybody can have access to God through Jesus. This access leads to anyone being able to call themselves part of the commonwealth of Israel, or in other words, part of God's people. We see in verse 14 that therefore hostility is broken down. Jews and Gentiles can now come together under the same roof, roof and worship God together. Paul goes on about this in verse 15, saying uh, more about how the law of commandments was abolished. In other words, the old law of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Old Testament law, is no more because of Christ and the reconciliation that God, through his grace, allowed. There is now only a Christ follower, as verse 15 goes on to stay. Instead of two distinct people, Jew and Gentile, Paul is saying that there is now one person, a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul, who himself was a Jew, speaking to Gentiles, saying they are the same through Jesus Christ. This results in peace. Verse 16 continues this thread as Paul says, both Jew and Gentile are reconciled to God. And uh, in verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The separation, division, hostility of two different people groups that for years had been divided is now at peace. This peace is only through what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross. Does this hostility sound familiar? 
applying the same sense of reconciliation today, we can look around the room and see a very wide range of people in this room. There are countless divisions that are still in place today. Some of these divisions and distinctions are significant and some smaller. The reality is that as long as we believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, as long as we are Christ followers, the divisions of the world, the differences that we all have, do not matter. We are one. Some of us are strict meat eaters, while others of us are vegetarians. Some of us are liberals. Some of us are conservatives. Uh, some of us have been Christians our entire lives, while others of, eh, others of us have uh, recently be, uh, known Christ. Some of us have lived in Halliburton our entire lives. Others were born outside the country. There are countless, countless differences. There are ethnic di- uh, differences, um, economic status differences, nationality differences, all that separate us. Yet through Christ, we are all reconciled and we are all the same. We all get the opportunity to be a part of the commonwealth of God. We are all part of the citizenship of heaven. What Paul teaches us here is that through our faith in Jesus, we have the same commonality that links us all together. This faith in Jesus breaks down any hostility. It breaks down any differences, any problems that we face. We today are all part of that same commonwealth as Paul, that Paul was talking about 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't matter who we are, where we come from. All that matters is our faith in what God has done through Jesus Christ. So next time uh, you know, there's conflict, I think it's, it's so crucial to remember that we are all the same. We are all Christ followers. There's so many churches um, that have conflict among its members. Conflict among uh, the people that, that walk in the door. And it breaks my heart when I, when I see these conflicts. And I grew up in the church and I experienced some of these conflicts. But if we all remember that we are Christ followers, that we have Jesus Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, I think that that's the ultimate form of reconciliation right there. And we can all come forward um, with this sense of peace. This reconciliation continues in verse 17 when Paul says... And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Again, this same idea can be found through scripture. Um, Isaiah 57, 19 says, Peace, peace to the far off and to the near, says the Lord, and I will hear him, heal him. Reconciliation, Paul says, is for all people, regardless of how far from God they once were. When Paul uh, was first speaking this, the far off uh, probably was applied to the Gentiles, while the Jews... Uh, were considered more near, having an understanding of God. Yet the same idea can be also applied to us today. Somebody who is a Christian their entire life can enter citizenship in heaven alongside a criminal in his last moments. Jesus proves this as he dies on the cross and allows the criminal beside him who believed in that moment. Um, Luke 23, 42-43 says, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, um, the criminal beside him says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. No matter our previous relationship with God, no no matter our previous actions, if we believe, we will be saved. If we believe, we are reconciled to God, and we become a new person that is one with God. Verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Reconciliation and peace goes beyond simply different types of people. 
Peace and reconciliation to God the Father is for anyone who believes. And the Apostle Paul himself is an amazing example of this, and he states this um, many times as you read his letters, and he brings kind of us back to this time before. Um, he was a murderer of Christians. Before he became a Christian, before he, he found God, his name was Saul, and he actually went around hunting Christians down and murdering them. But God got a hold of Saul's life, turned his, and he changed his name to Paul. And Paul experienced this reconciliation with Christ. And Paul talks about this. If even Paul, a murderer of Christians, can be reconciled to God, I think that, that means all of us can be reconciled to God. This reconciliation, this peace, this transformation is something that is completely mind-boggling and leads us to the mystery that we will talk about in a little bit. How can we, a bunch of sinful, different, disobedient, divided, hostile, whatever word you want to put in there, how can we, a bunch of evil people, sinful people, all be reconciled together as one body? In many ways, that is the mystery, one that is incredible and is, and is only through Jesus Christ. This mystery is also seen in the world. The world focuses heavily on every person for themselves and sees a group like us at church to be countercultural. Non-Christians are like, why, you know, why are you getting together twice a week or three times a week or whatever it is uh, with a bunch of strangers that you don't even have anything in common with? But we understand that it is through Jesus Christ that we are all here, that we have community, that we come to church on a Sunday morning, that we meet in our small groups, that we do youth group, whatever it is. And even though this is countercultural from a worldly standpoint, um, it's part of the reconciliation that Jesus Christ, uh, that God through Jesus Christ designed. Why else would a group of strangers come together every week? The answer is Jesus Christ and the commonality we all share through him. And this mystery, as I said at the beginning, is also seen in the heavenly realms. Angels and demons themselves are baffled by this. Yet God's wisdom reigns supreme. Through Christ, verse 19 goes on to point out that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are reconciled no matter who we are, no matter how far off or how close we were to God. This reconciliation, therefore, trickles into our everyday life. Because we are reconciled to God, we also are called to be at peace with each other, reconciled with each other. But how is this done? Paul uses three metaphors in the next few verses to describe how, um, as Christians that are reconciled together through Jesus, uh, come together. These three metaphors are that God's people are his citizens, we are his household, and we are God's temple. Now, God's citizens, God's people, has already been talked about. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens. The second metaphor Paul uses here in verse 19 and 20 talks about the household. We are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, entire churches are named cornerstone Church. So I'm not, and there's entire series and books that are written about why Jesus is the cornerstone. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time. We can talk about cornerstone at another time, but we'll just assume that we understand um, that Jesus is our cornerstone and that we are part of the household of God. 
But the third metaphor is that as Christians, due to the fact that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, they're called to be at peace, we are called to be joined together, the whole structure, that whole household, into a holy temple in the Lord. God is building us as Christians into a dwelling place for God. This is done through the Holy Spirit. That is what a temple is. Temple metaphor is used throughout Scripture countless times. Paul uses it in other letters, such as in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, where he says, Or we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Peter uses it in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, and he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This temple metaphor is engulfed throughout Scripture. It stretches from Genesis to Revelation. Eden was seen as the first place of God's presence. The tabernacle was a portable temple that the Israelites carried with them, led by the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon spent fortunes building a new temple, and Jesus Christ tabernacled or dwelt among us, as seen in John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Finally, Revelation points to heaven being the final temple in which we again will uh, dwell with God. Throughout history, and, we, and the Ephesians would have understand this heavily, the temple was seen as a dwelling place for God himself. We can again spend tons and tons of time here um, diving in, uh, talking about the temple, but let's simply remember that the temple in its definition and purpose, is a dwelling place for God himself. So if God is calling us as Christians to be the temple, he is calling us, he's calling you and me, Lakeside Church in Halliburton, to be a dwelling place for God. The temple in the Old Testament was the physical representation of the divine manifestation of God. The sacrifices, rituals, the festivals by the Israelites all took place at the temple. Why? Because God dwelt there. God lived among his people and met with them through the temple. After Jesus, after his death and resurrection on the cross, after the Holy Spirit was left for all believers, in us, we became the Holy Spirit's home and therefore the temple of God. This indicates God care for, uh, God's care for us wherever we are, but it also indicates God's reconciliation and call for peace. If we literally are the temple if we literally have God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit, then shouldn't that impact how we live, how we act, how we come together, how we conduct ourselves, how we interact with the world? We have both a privilege and a call to be the temple of God in the world and for each other. We who have the Holy Spirit in us, which is all those who believe in Jesus Christ, are counted as the, tw- as the temple of God. We are counted as God's dwelling place. Living in light of this fact, this privilege, leads to joy, it leads to gratitude, but it leads to holy living, and it leads to peace among each other, despite our differences and hostilities. So Paul uses three metaphors to not only call us to be at peace with one another, but also to live out this reconciliation in our day-to-day lives. Paul calls us citizens of heaven, he calls us a part of God's household with Christ as a cornerstone, and also the temple itself, the place where God himself dwells through the Holy Spirit. Does this not lead us to want to be at peace and conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing to God? How can we be the dwelling place for God and continue to sin and conduct ourselves 
in a sinful way. It in many ways would contradict. If God cannot be near sin, and we are the dwelling place for God, how can we therefore carry on sinning? Due to God's incredible grace, which has led us uh, to have reconciliation, not just between each other, but to God himself through Jesus Christ, Paul goes on to say, uh, for this reason, assuming we know of the stewardship of God's grace. Paul is wanting to tell the church in Ephesus, and in turn us, what the mystery is that is revealed to him by God. But in order to get to the mystery, but in order to understand this mystery, we first have to know God's grace and what it has done for us in our lives. We can't understand the mystery if we don't first understand what God has done only by grace in our lives. That's what Paul is saying here. We cannot under, uh, understand or unlock the mystery without fully accepting the fact that it is only through God's grace that any of us are even saved or reconciled to God in the first place. I love what is said in Acts on this same idea. Luke writes in Acts 11, verse 23, and I think, yeah. Um, when, we, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. In other words, God's grace to the early church was clear, and this gave the early church the motivation and purpose to continue in the faith. Paul uh, refers to the same idea in Colossians 1, 21-23, and anybody knows he, this is actually my, my favorite verse, um, and I can tell you stories about where this verse... Anyway, I wanted to use it because I really like it. I'm not going to, yeah, it's just, yeah, I just love it. And you who once were alienated, there's that alienated word again, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled, there's that reconciled word again, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. God's grace leads us to become holy and blameless. It is only through the grace of God, that when we believe, we become holy and blameless. It's not through our actions. It's not through what we do. It's not through, you know, coming to church on a Sunday morning. It is because of the grace of God. And Paul's saying you have to understand the grace of God in your life before you, before you understand the mystery. We'll never understand the mystery unless we first understand what God has done through grace in our lives. So here it is, this mystery. What is Paul referring to? What is the mystery? Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 3, the mystery was made known to him by revelation. We as Christians can have access to the same revelation as long as we first understand God's grace on our lives. Verse 4, Paul makes it clear that we can perceive his insight into the mystery of Christ. And in verse 5, which has only been made known to him, sorry, only been made known now to his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. The mystery that everyone can have access to God. We see this in verse 6. Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This brings us back to the beginning when we discussed reconciliation. Prior to Jesus, the only way to God was through the Israelites, the sacrifice of animals, um, being a a Jewish person. Prior to Jesus, Gentiles, non-Jews, which I'm going to assume is most of us here, um, could not have access to God unless they became a Jew, which I'm not going to talk about. It was a whole big process. But Paul reveals to us that now, because of Jesus, and in turn, the Holy Spirit in us, we all have access to God when we believe. 
we have to understand how countercultural and mind-blowing this would have been. There was such a divide between the two groups, a divide that led to the ultra-religiousness of the Pharisees to eventually crucify Jesus, a divide that led to hostility, anger, and so much more. Paul basically flips this on its end and says that we all have access, and this in turn is a profound mystery. Why would God do this? Because of his grace. Because of his reconciliation. Because he desires us to be one with him. All of us. So long as we believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This mystery, this understanding of reconciliation through God's grace leads to so much. This gospel message for all people, this message of God's gift of profound grace, leads to uh, us as Christians with the Holy Spirit at work in us to do God's work. God's work is done through the Holy Spirit in us and the spiritual gifts that we all have. We have gifts that we then use to do God's work on earth. Um, Again, I'm going to leave spiritual gifts there. That's another whole series. Um, Essentially, the mystery of reconciliation, the mystery of all people having access to God through Jesus, the mystery of God's grace is lived out with the Holy Spirit, God in us as his dwelling place, and we thus have gifts that we use to do God's work on earth through the Holy Spirit. I love Paul's humility as he goes on in verse 8, when he calls himself the very least of all the saints. Paul understands this mystery. Paul understands God's incredible grace. Paul knows that it is only because of God's grace that he is able to preach to the Gentiles. Let's take that a step farther and suggest that Paul understands that it is only because of God's grace that Paul is used by God to preach to all of us who are Gentiles. This preaching is the gospel. Verse 8, Paul calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why would he call it unsearchable? Because the riches of God can only be found through Christ. We cannot find the riches of God anywhere else but through uh, Jesus Christ. We cannot enter citizenship into, into heaven. We cannot enter reconciliation with God through anything other than Christ and his grace through the cross. It's not through anything we do or say. It's only through Christ and his grace. All of this is done so that, see verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the mystery. To bring the mystery that is access to God for all to light. The gospel message of God's grace, the gospel message of reconciliation between us and God and us and each other, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is for everyone and leads to peace and leads to us desiring and having a greater purpose of living this out. All of this... All of this is done so that, verse 10, here it is, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm going to read that again because it's just so profound. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Not only do we have access to God, through grace, through Jesus Christ. But this access, Paul says, leads to a greater purpose in our lives. Now, this purpose is twofold. First, we have a purpose to live this out in the world, to see, to spread the gospel, to let our light shine, to conduct ourselves in a way that would be pleasing to God, to conduct ourselves as God's dwelling place on earth, as his temple. But our second purpose is absolutely profound, absolutely incredible. God uses us so that his wisdom is made known 
to the heavenly places. We are on display before the entire heavenly realms. Angels, demons, aspects we cannot even begin to understand on this earth is blown away by God through us. God uses us to literally get the attention of the heavenly realms. I think that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. The heavenly realms do not understand the mystery of God's grace. They do not understand what God sees in us. Yet God uses us in his infinite wisdom to prove to the entire heavenly realms his divine wisdom. Every time we resist temptation, every time we resolve a conflict among one another, every time marriages are restored, every time brothers and sisters reunite as friends, every time we say no to lying, to stealing, to cheating, whatever it is, every time we conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing to God, the entire heavenly realm stands still and marvels at the glory and wisdom of God. I think that's a pretty good purpose. We are used by God so that his wisdom can be made known to the authorities in the heavenly places. Our purpose in life goes beyond this world. Our purpose in life starts with how we conduct ourselves on earth with each other, when we are alone, when we are in our houses, when we are at work. It goes on to the fact that God gives us the incredible purpose of proving God right. God has proved right to the heavenly places every time we honor him. Next time you wonder what God is doing, next time you wonder what your purpose is, remember that God is using you for far more than we can ever begin to understand. We have an eternal purpose that Paul says in verse 11, that, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, that God through his grace and wisdom gives us for all of the heavenly places to see. Paul goes on to conclude in verse 12 and 13 that because of all of this, because of God's grace, because of God's purpose on our lives, because of this eternal plan, this eternal wisdom that we are only beginning to understand, because of this mystery, we therefore have boldness and access with confidence. We have confidence in this world, confidence in this life and the next, to conduct ourselves as holy and righteous, to live boldly in our faith, to reconcile with each other. Not only is this boldness a gift, it is also a challenge. Let's act with confidence and live out our faith in Jesus, which is for all with confidence and boldness. Verse 13, Paul finishes by saying that we do not need to lose heart. Our glory, our confidence, our boldness comes because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. That as we accept this gift, as we accept this mystery that is for all, we can move forward with purpose, both in this world, in this life, and with purpose that supersedes all understanding and puts God on display for all of the heavens. That's a pretty incredible purpose. So let's reconcile this morning as, as one household, as citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel, as vegetarians and meat eaters, as liberals and conservatives. Let's reconcile because we are called to be the temple. We are God's dwelling place on earth through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that was left. Let's reconcile. Let's live at peace with one another. Let's live out our life with purpose, resisting temptations, forgiving one another, saying no to what we know is wrong, 
Every time we do this, not only is God's wisdom on display in the world, but God's wisdom is on display in all of the heavenly realms. We have a purpose. We have confidence. We have boldness. We all have access to God because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh man, God, you are so good. And Lord, you have put so much in that, that passage of scripture and you use the Apostle Paul uh, to teach us so much and we're only touching the surface. But Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for reconciling us to you and to each other. Thank you, Lord, that you are using us so that the entire heavenly realms can marvel at your wisdom. Thank you for that purpose, not only in this world, but in the next. Thank you, Father, and I just pray that we can live this out, that we can live this purpose out with boldness and confidence. Thank you for your grace. Amen.